0: Okay, we'll begin uh, part two of improving emotional intelligence. And uh, by the way, we ran out of a little bit of time. How many of you took the EQ test? Uh, good, most of you uh, did. Uh, on the grading of that, if you want to know how it's graded there, I told you the answers to 17 through 20 and at what points you would give yourself for those grades. And then uh, questions 1 through 15... Uh, if For those, on all of those, if you answered E for any one of those, it's four points. If you answered D, it's three points. If you answered C, it's two points. And if you answered B, it's one point. If you answered A, zero points. So on 1 through 15, A is zero, uh, B again one, and then E, of course, is four points. Question 16, you do get four points, but only for the answer F. Uh, You get zero points for any of those other answers. Okay, now if you want to tally your points, if you add them up, and you multiply them by 2.5, that's your EQ. So add all of your points up, multiply it by 2.5. If your EQ is 100, you're at the average American EQ level. If your EQ is 90, you're a standard deviation below the mean. If it's 110, you're a standard deviation above. If it's 120, uh, you're at the 95 percentile. If it's 80, you're at the 5 percentile. And if you're significantly above 120, obviously you'd be getting it towards the upper end of EQ. And as we mentioned, Christ had a very high EQ. He uh, He would have really had... Uh, very close to the 200 mark uh, there. That's the, the, the top score you can get is 200, which is extremely high EQ. What's that? Yeah, B is one point, yes. Did you have a question there? Yeah, 17 through 20, it was G that's your four points, F is your three points, E is two points, D is one point, and A through C is zero. 17 through 20, D? Yeah, that's 17 through 20. All the others, that's right. First 15 is what I said before. All right, so that's how you can find out your EQ Now that is a, a limited EQ test. If we're doing a comprehensive EQ test, it's gonna be about 120 questions. So this'll give you a clue as to where your EQ is at. But uh, if you want a comprehensive EQ test, you might want to take some of those on the web. You'll have to pay money for them, et cetera, uh, to get that those EQ tests. Okay, the science of happiness, which of course has a lot to do with emotional intelligence. If you remember, uh, Well, I talked a little bit about IQ and EQ. Let's just go over it because some of you weren't in the last uh, program. 550 people born in Scotland in 1921 whose mental ability had been tested at age 11 and again at 80, so this is IQ, where a study determined if intelligence over a lifetime was linked to happiness. In older people, there seems to be no relationship between how well they do on tests of their IQ and thinking memory skills and how satisfied they are with their life. The researchers found no relationship between satisfaction scores and cognitive ability. Now does that mean highly intelligent people can't be happy? No, it just says there's no relationship. Their likelihood to be happy is just as good as someone who does not have a high IQ. While not linked to happiness, intelligence does have an impact on how people function in old age. In other words, you will function better at a higher IQ level. But as we mentioned, EQ is very much related to not only success in life, much more related to success than IQ is, but it's also very much related to um, your happiness in life. Happiness of Americans the last 30 years. Americans are less happy today than they were 30 years ago. Here we are having more fun things to do than ever before in human history, but we have less happiness. And this is taking a look at people who are not depressed, just taking a look at their happiness scales. And uh, this study tried to take a look at some of the reasons, thanks to longer working hours and the deterioration in the quality of their relationships with friends and neighbors. What does that have to do with? That has to do with emotional intelligence. remember, emotional intelligence is the ability to uh, uh, develop and maintain relationships with others. A person with no close friends or social relations with neighbors would have to earn $320,000 more each year than someone who did to enjoy the same level of happiness. So you have the chance of taking a job and taking a $320,000 raise or maintaining close friends you actually ought to choose the close friends. And while the average American paycheck had risen over the past 30 years, in other words, it's not because they're making less money, its happiness-boosting benefits were more than offset by a drop in the quality of relationships over that same period. This was a letter that Ellen White wrote for, to her grandson, 19-year-old grandson who was at school and was lonely. She says your feelings of unrest and homesickness or loneliness may be for what? Your good. good. Your heavenly father means to teach you to find in him the friendship and love and consolation that will satisfy your most earnest hopes and desires. So even though we may not have earthly friends that are of that intimate uh, part, we can have a spiritual and a real friend as, we, as one that has been mentioned here at GYC. He is indeed a real person and we can develop that relationship that can satisfy. This was an interesting study. 24 university students performed two tests of attention. Positive moods were induced by playing Bach's Brandenburg Concerto Number no. 3. And as we talked about yesterday, uh, uh, traditional classical music, not all traditional classical music, but much of traditional classical music can enhance mood and it can actually uh, improve a number of things uh, mentally. Other types of music have not shown to have that significant benefit. In fact, some music actually suppresses the frontal lobe of the brain. However, in this instance, negative moods were induced by playing a Prokofiev piece played at half speed. To produce a neutral mood, participants read a series of facts and figures about Canada. Uh, sorry about, for, for those of you who are Canadian, but that's how they did the study. At least it's a neutral mood. When they were in a positive mood, participants scored higher on a remote associate's task, a measure of what? Creative thinking. And so creativity has a lot to do with mood. When feeling happy, Anderson explained, your attentional window is actually bigger. It's like looking through a big window versus a small window. Now the other interesting thing about this, as far as doing facts and figures and being accurate in facts and figures, they were best after reading, actually producing that neutral mood by reading about Canada. And so it's okay to have a neutral mood as well. It actually improves your accuracy. But as far as creativity is concerned, it's better after you are happy. And there are effects of happiness that go beyond just mental effects. An experiment that exposed healthy volunteers to a cold or flu virus. You wonder how this passed the ethics review board of some of these universities. But this is what they did. They took healthy volunteers and actually exposed them with a nasal, you know, this would be a syringe. they were actually putting it right there in the nose. The cold and flu virus. Researchers found that happy people were less likely to fall ill. Cohen and his colleagues found that based on objective measures of nasal woes, happy people were less likely to develop a cold. What's more, when happy folks did develop a cold, their self-rated symptoms were less severe than would be expected based on objective measures. When the researchers weighed other factors that could explain the relationship, like volunteers' perception of their general health, their self-esteem and tendency to be optimistic, happiness itself still seemed to protect against cold symptoms. So it wasn't just those other things, but the uh, happiness itself. This is worth repeating, this is a study from uh, Dr. Gilbert Uh, Harvard psychologist uh, in CNN reported on it. The next time you're deciding between ice cream and cake, buying a car or taking a trip to Europe, accepting a new job or keeping your old one, you should remember two things. First, your decision is rooted in the desire to become happy or at least happier than you are now. Second, there's a good chance the decision you make will be wrong. The reason... Daniel Gilbert summed it up this way. People have a lot of bad theories about happiness. And so people are making decisions moment by moment, often day by day, in what they think is going to produce a happier life down the road. But most often, they're making the wrong decisions. Our culture employs us to buy bigger, newer, better things. But research shows stuff does not buy happiness. By and large, money buys happiness only for those who lack the what? the basic needs. So in other words, once you have food, shelter, clothing, uh, you have your basic needs. And more money doesn't buy more happiness. In fact, once you pass the income of $50,000, and this is taking a look at the coast and the plains it would be less than that, more money doesn't buy more happiness. With that in mind, Siegel said, we should pass on buying lottery tickets and find small things we can do every day that bring us joy, whether it's going for a walk, cooking a meal, or reading a book. Well, the last session, if you weren't here at the last session, you'll want to get the tape. Uh, We talked about how you can improve your emotional intelligence and what emotional intelligence is and how important it is to our success in life and also how important it is to the opening of the Spirit of God in our life. And we went through the first five cognitive distortions. There are ten commandments in the Bible and there are ten ways of distorted thinking. Now I'm going to go through the last five. Number six, fortune teller error. I know he won't do it because he will think it's too hard. Fortune teller error. I will never be able to overcome this problem. If you have those type of thoughts, it's actually a fortune teller error. People with panic disorder have fortune teller errors. They'll come into my office, uh, sometimes after the panic attack, sometimes during the panic attack, and they will say, I know I'm either going to pass out or go crazy when I have these attacks. I'll say, how many attacks have you had? I've had many panic attacks. How many times have you passed out? Well, I've never passed out. How many times have you gone crazy? I've never gone crazy. Well, then you have to rephrase that thought, but because you said every time you feel these panic attacks, you know you're either going to pass out or go crazy. How can we more accurately state this? Uh, Abraham had a fortune teller error. And often fortune teller error is combined with mind reading. Mind reading, as you remember, was the fifth cognitive distortion. And he utilized mind reading combined with fortune teller error, and as a result decided that Sarah was only going to be called his sister, even though she was also his wife. And uh, as a result, he got himself into a lot of problems, emotionally and physically. Judas committed the ultimate fortune teller error when he betrayed Christ into the hands of the priests and rulers. Judas misread the character of Christ, thinking that when placed in a certain position, Christ would be forced into military action. Judas did not comprehend that Christ's kingdom was not of this world. He thought he understood what Christ was thinking, but tragically, he did not and it ended up resulting in a suicide. Uh, the, in fact, suicidal thoughts are also fortune teller errors. People with suicidal thoughts think they know more about their future than anyone else does, and they actually do not. Uh, we need to understand that there's only one who knows the future, uh, and sometimes uh, we get into the place where we think, if, if I do this, then this adverse thing is going to happen, in reality, the best way of, of being able to hold our future is to follow the Lord's will in our life, including the keeping of the Ten Commandments. And that's the best predictor, actually, of your future, uh, not only in this world but also in the life to come. The seventh cognitive distortion, magnification or minimization. This is a very common cognitive distortion. This, uh, uh, cognitive distortion number seven and number eight are the two most common uh, cognitive distortions. And this is where we get things out of proportion, Uh, We magnify things. People, uh, of course, I deal with depression a lot, so I'll see the magnification in the other sense. But I'll often hear everyday negative events described horrible, terrible, or awful. Those three words will be used. We call them the HTAs. Watch out for those words. If you're describing things as horrible, terrible, and awful, chances are you're way off the scale. Now, there may be a few things that actually qualify for those words. Uh, but when we utilize them, we're often significantly magnifying them. And then we actually believe those words, and that, of course, uh, leads us into actually worse emotional uh, intelligence. Magnification, we talked about it yesterday evening uh, in, in that session. One of the greatest <laughs> magnifications that leads to mental illness is pride, and we had that test. Uh, by William Bacchus to see whether you had uh, that pride there. These new laws affecting my business are terrible. In the business world, I often hear about these types of things and hear these words portrayed. My most important priority is to build up a nice nest egg so I can retire early. Most important priority? Talk about magnification. Nebuchadnezzar got into this. Is not this great Babylon which I have built? Magnification. And it produced such problems that it required a seven-year depression recovery program uh, for him uh, to overcome that, plus some cognitive behavioral therapy. I will exalt myself above the most high. Magnification is how it started. This was the cognitive distortion of Lucifer. And then there's minimization. The five foolish virgins minimize the importance of having adequate oil in their lamps. By the time they came to their senses and realized their need, it was too late. The problem of not seeing things accurately, minimization. When we have magnification, by the way, we tend to lose our frustration tolerance. That's when we have a problem with patience. Those who have a problem with patience actually have low frustration tolerance. And uh, there's a, a little song that I've utilized, Uh, I don't don't know that any of my uh, boys are here, they were for the last session, Uh, I don't see them uh, here for this one, but they won't mind, they know that I tell this story in public uh, about them, (laughs) Uh, but uh, this was a couple of years ago, they enjoy playing baseball, and uh, we were uh, playing baseball out there in the field, and the temper started to flare. And I tried to get the tempers back in line and explain some things. I wasn't getting them in line, and the tempers were even getting worse. And so as the adult on the field, I brought the game to a sudden halt. And about half of the boys were actually pleased that I had done so, uh, and the other half were not pleased that I, was, that I had done that. But both groups actually were not allowed to leave that field, even though the game was closed, until they sang this song to me by heart. And, you know, when your emotions are out of control, your ability to learn is hampered. And so they were out there for a while until they were able to uh, sing this song to me by heart. And the song just went like this. I don't like it. I don't like it. It's okay. It's okay. I can stand it anyway. I can stand it anyway. I'm all right. I'm all right. And it, it teaches that even though we don't, like something, and yes, it's true, they didn't like something, we can actually stand it. When we tell ourselves we can't stand it, that's when we lose frustration tolerance. That's when we start getting to the point where even rage can start to occur as it starts to build up, uh, etc. And did you know there's only one thing a human being cannot stand? Only one thing, and that's death. Everything else a human being can stand. And so when we tell ourselves we can't stand something, watch out, we are significantly magnifying it. And, you know, people that start utilizing curse words, my father taught me early in life, those who use curse words have a limited vocabulary. And that's because they're way off the map. They're not describing things accurately at all. They're way off the map in their description of it. Uh, And they have really magnified it. You know, one of the perplexing things about this, I talked to you about Dr. Ellis, one of the pioneers in cognitive behavioral therapy. Dr. Ellis continues to break the seventh cognitive distortion in his language, even in regards to his talks. Uh, And uh, we need to be careful in regards to this. Here's what Ellen White says. When trials arise that seem, what? Unexplainable, we should not allow our what to be spoiled? Our peace. So these are unexplainable trials. However unjustly we may be treated, let not what? Passion arise. By indulging a spirit of retaliation, who do we injure? We think we're injuring the other guy. But we are injuring ourselves at least as much. We destroy our own confidence in God, she says, and we grieve the Holy Spirit. So watch out for LFT, that's the abbreviation for low frustration tolerance. And this is an important principle to teach. A couple of sessions ago in our 10 day depression recovery program, we had an individual who had problems with rage. Uh, She was a young mother and the problem was she was at least perceptive enough to recognize her emotional problem might actually even injure her own child someday. And so she came with her husband, who also had some issues, and they also came with their child to the uh, program. Uh, and uh, with, in our session, uh, we have uh, a, a good cognitive behavioral therapist, and you know we only have 10 days with them. And uh, George Washington uh, uh, very aptly states, truth will ultimately prevail where there are pains taken to bring it to light. And often there are pains that are necessary to bring it to light in regards to people's way of distorted thinking. Fortunately, she had gone through some of the spa experience. We had fed her the good food. We had given her the hydrotherapy. She was exercising, etc. And then in day number four, I went through these cognitive distortions with her and taught the whole group this song, the I Don't Like It song. And fortunately, it was just in time because that afternoon she had a session with our clinical psychologist and became pretty upset at the clinical psychologist, thinking that she was not reading things correctly and that she wasn't, you know, uh, seeing what was the, the root problem. And in reality, the clinical psychologist was seeing it very accurately and seeing the root problem. She just didn't want to admit to that problem being the underlying surface for her low frustration tolerance. And so she announced to her husband that she was leaving, she's getting out of here, she's not gonna tolerate this, and then she remembered that song. And she went down to the exercise room and started exercising as fast as she could and singing that song. I don't like it, I don't like it, it's okay, it's okay. I can stand it anyway. And at the end of the 10 days she told her testimony on how glad she was she sang that song and how right that was and how she is now uh, on that complete path of recovery. Rage had no longer taken hold of her. She now was able to tolerate frustrations. Number eight, very common, emotional reasoning. Emotional reasoning goes like this. I feel like a dud, therefore I am a dud. I feel overwhelmed and helpless. Thus my problems are impossible to solve. Is that true? Because I feel overwhelmed and helpless, my problems are impossible to solve? No, but that's emotional reasoning. Procrastinators have this. I don't feel like doing anything right now. And so, I won't. It's purely emotional reasoning. And this is where we get into the, the, the hindrances in regards to well-designed studies showing objective things on music, for instance. We have, uh, and we have them, University of Florida, controlled, prospective, randomized trials showing evidence of truth in regards to music. We have inspiration in regards to music, and people will look at that truth, and they will say, Hmm, boy, I, you know, for me, I just can't because I just like my music so much that I don't want to change. What's that? It's purely emotional reasoning. They have no objective evidence to actually pursue that course any further, but they utilize that emotional reasoning. And whether it's due to music or food or whatever types of things that are getting in the way of enhancing ourselves, it is emotional reasoning. And it does have a, a, a great uh, ability uh, for us to not achieve our goals as a result. This is another one. I don't feel spiritual, thus I'm not spiritual. Did you know that everyone who has a frontal lobe is spiritual and they worship? The question is, who are they worshiping? What are they worshiping? I don't feel like changing anything right now, so I won't. Job's wife was a victim of emotional reasoning. All of the bad things that happened to her. And by the way, this is the one the devil refused to take away from Job He had the ability to do that, but he kept her there because he knew about her emotional intelligence and knew what was going to happen when this hit. And so she gets very upset at him and says, Job, you just need to what? Curse God and die. Job refused to succumb to that and maintained his high emotional intelligence. James 1 says no one should say God tempts because God doesn't tempt anyone. Each one is tempted when he is dragged away and enticed by his own what? Evil feelings. The problem is feelings can lie. Feelings are often quite inaccurate. Now, sometimes feelings are based on things that are truthful. And it's not that we want to do away with feelings. What we want to do is when we have feelings, we need to elevate them to the level of our consciousness analyze them and see if they are based on things that we are assuming or are they definitely accurate and if they are things that are definitely accurate they can actually motivate us to do the right things and to do things that will ultimately succeed that's that's why we call emo, you know part of the word emotion is motion it's to actually move us into action when those feelings are appropriate and based on truth and you know when you think about it what more important goal is there in life than to meet our maker and to be in heaven for eternity i mean what a tremendous goal and this is a true and accurate goal and why are we letting things that are of much lesser importance get into the way of that when we do it it's emotional reasoning based on feelings that are actually lying to us but in reality we should have that high motivation in regards to the the true and accurate things in life One of the greatest tendencies for emotional reasoning, Ellen White tells us, tends to come in in regards to what subject? Marriage. Marriage is something that will influence and affect your life both in this world and in the world to come. A sincere Christian will not advance his plans in this direction without the knowledge that God approves his course. I would not be understood to mean that anyone is to marry one whom he does not love. This would be sin, but Fancy and the emotional nature must not be allowed to lead on to ruin. God requires the whole heart, the supreme affections. Who should have the whole heart and the supreme affections? God. And then we can have that appropriate emotional reasoning that can help us even in regards to our marriage relationship. Another aspect of emotional reasoning that we need to look into We are not to look into our hearts for a joyful emotion as an evidence for our acceptance with heaven. But we are to take God's promises and say what? They are mine. Sometimes people get on this wave where because their emotions are not in a certain way, they conclude that those promises are not for them. Jonathan Martinson says this, Feelings are much like waves. We can't stop them from coming, but we can choose which one to serve. Councils on education. If you would know the mystery of godliness, you must follow the plain word of truth, feeling or no feeling, emotion or no emotion. Obedience must be rendered from a sense of principle, and the right must be pursued under all circumstances. This is those that are not reasoning purely on the basis of emotion. Another aspect, I've seen this among many Christians, to get into emotional reasoning even in regards to religious things, to give or to labor when our sympathies are moved and to withhold our gifts or service when the emotions are not stirred is an unwise and dangerous course. If we are controlled by impulse or mere human sympathy, then a few instances where our efforts for others are repaid with ingratitude or where our gifts are abused or squandered will be sufficient to freeze up the springs of beneficence. Christians should act from what? fixed principle, following the Savior's example of self-denial and self-sacrifice. Cognitive distortion number nine. And by the way, uh, this is where people, uh, before we get into that, another example of emotional reasoning, I am angry at you, and that proves that you've been cruel and insensitive to me. Does that prove that? Because I'm angry at you? Well, that doesn't prove that at all. We need to elevate those feelings to our level of consciousness and really analyze those and look at there, if there's other ways of, that, that could be equally explained. Cognitive distortion number nine, labeling and mislabeling. That guy does not believe in the ordination of women and is thus a conservative male chauvinist. What could I possibly learn from such a jerk? <laughs> labeling and mislabeling. Often these are statements that are actually stated to friends and others. I'm just a secular humanist that happens to go to church with my family once a week. Labeling yourself can be a problem. And uh, we've had, uh, there was in the workplace, an engineer and a secretary that we're working with. The engineer had had a new secretary assigned to his group of engineers, and she had made a significant mistake and then had an emotional outburst over that mistake. And the engineer saw that occur, told the other engineering friends about what had happened, and then labeled her, we have an irritable idiot, is our new secretary. First he gave the label, then he tried to give the explanation, uh, et cetera. Well, eventually that label got back to her, and she told the other secretaries that we have a male chauvinist as an engineer here. And everything he did, she tried to prove her label, and everything she did, he tried to prove his label, and around and around they went with their labels and mislabels. And then there can be a problem with even labeling yourself. We need to be careful in regards to those things. Uh, We had someone who was going through our weight loss program. We have a 10-week program that's highly successful that we run at the office occasionally called Best Way, W-E-I-G-H. And part of best way is uh, recognizing food addictions. And by the way, this is something that's not widely known. A lot of people say, well, if you're obese and you're having a problem with uh, food, it's not like alcohol. You know, alcohol you can just stop abruptly, or tobacco you can stop abruptly and gain the victory. But with food, if you're addicted to food, you can't just stop eating. You'll hear this a lot. And so because you can't stop eating, you're always going to have this tendency, and thus you're going to always have a tendency for obesity and overweight and really never be able to succeed in that realm. And I have to remind people, there is no one that's addicted to all foods. For instance, I have yet to find a person who's addicted to broccoli. (laughs) They may be addicted to what they put on the broccoli, but they're not addicted to broccoli, And, you know, God's choices are that way. God wants us to have freedom of choice. And, you know, my my wife likes mangoes. But we found out she had an allergy to mangoes, and I had to tell her the sad news that I thought she ought to quit eating mangoes. As much as she loved mangoes, she didn't break out into a sweat. She didn't say, Neil, how am I ever going to be able to live without mangoes? Uh, You know, she'd prefer to be able to eat them, but even God's choice is that way. They don't have that pull, that addiction that is there. But when you talk about ice cream to some people, it can have an issue. And this individual was addicted to ice cream. She recognized that addiction. She was doing well. She was losing weight. And by the way, each week there's usually another addiction. Usually there's about 10 food groups for those that are significantly obese, or, or not food groups, but particular foods that they have this addictive relationship to. Uh, and so several weeks into the program, of course her family wasn't attending the program, but several weeks into the program she felt kind of down in the evening, a little bit lonely, opened up the refrigerator, and there was a new hagen doss that someone had just set in there. And she says, well, one scoop isn't going to hurt me. So she takes one scoop and starts eating it, And then she starts thinking about what she did. And then she says, that proves it. I'm nothing but a pig. Notice the label? After she labeled herself that, she went back into the refrigerator and ate the whole half gallon. And so uh, this is what can happen with the mislabeling of self. I'm just a hypocrite and will always be one. I know I said that pastor is lazy, and now I'm going to prove it. Let's be careful in regards to these labels. Shimei knew that David had been blessed of God and anointed as king of Israel. He knew that as a fact. Yet in David's hour of humility and need, Shimei followed David from a safe distance, cursing him as he went, filling him with labels. And by the way, David was tempted to succumb to emotional reasoning there, but he did not. Shimei engaged in this dangerous practice of labeling. While David had sinned, Shimei set himself up as a judge by labeling David with curses. And there are other examples of those who wouldn't label. Personalization. This is when we confuse influence with control. The sixth grader comes home from, with Ds and Fs on the report card. The mother breaks down in tears and says, I'm a failure as a parent. Is that true? She, is she a failure because her sixth grader is failing? No, it's not. That sixth grader has some responsibility himself in that classroom, etc. Now, she might be able to learn how to be a better mother, Uh, She has influence over a sixth grader. She doesn't have control. Samuel, also personalized. You remember when the Israelites rejected the prophet and decided to set up a king. And Samuel started to take that personally. And do you know what the Lord told him? This isn't against you. It's against me. When Jesus sent out the disciples two by two, people rejected their message. The disciples personalized the rejection and wanted to call fire down from heaven. The people were not rejecting the disciples. They were rejecting Christ. But the disciples had fallen into the trap of personalization. Haman took the refusal of Mordecai so personally that he was willing to wipe out the entire Jewish nation to get revenge on one man. Talk about personalization. That was personalization to the next. Ellen White says, even the thoughts must be brought into subjection to the will of God and the feelings under the control of what? Reason and religion. Our imagination was not given us to be allowed to run riot and have its own way without any effort at restraint and discipline. If the thoughts are wrong, what else will be wrong? The feelings will be wrong and the thoughts and feelings combined make up the moral character. Paul says, whatsoever things are what? (laughs) True. Whatsoever things are honest. Whatsoever things are just. It's kind of interesting. Those are the first three things that are mentioned. True, honest, just. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, do what? Think on these things. This tells us cognitive behavioral therapy is not new. The ability to improve emotional intelligence is not new. It's been talked about as old as scripture. Christ said, to this end was I born and for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Truth is the ultimate foundational principle in God's government combined with agape, self-sacrificing love, another foundational principle. Many people with depression have feelings of worthlessness. One individual who came to our program had this feeling. And I started asking her about it and I said, you know, to say you're worthless is to say, very similar to saying you're penniless. How much money do you have if you're penniless? Zero, she said. And I said, so how much worth do you have if you say you're worthless? And she, before answering the question, she says, Dr. Nedley, you, of all of the people that I've, I've come for treatment, I think you understand really how worthless I actually am. I said, no, that's not where I'm getting at here. <laughs> she, uh, uh, she jumped to conclusions. By the way, uh, that's another cognitive distortion. Mind reading and fortune teller error both fall into a category of jumping to conclusions. It's the most common form of exercise that Americans get. Not physical exercise, but that uh, mental exercise of jumping to conclusions. And uh, so I had to explain things and back up and explain to her a little bit more. And finally, she got the point. And what we do when, we, when people recognize their distorted thought, we don't just have them recognize which distortion it is. By the way, what distortion is worthlessness, feelings of worthlessness? There's actually several of them that would qualify. Uh, yeah, you all or nothing thinking uh, is on there. Uh, you're certainly minimizing uh, significantly to the max, uh, really. Uh, you're also uh, utilizing emotional reasoning, etc. And so she not only recognized the distorted thoughts, but then began to replace them with true thoughts. And we had them write, write her down, and here's what she wrote. As long as I have something to contribute to the well-being of myself and others, I'm not worthless. As long as what I do can have a positive effect, I'm not worthless. As long as my being alive makes a difference to even one person, I'm not worthless. If I can give love, understanding, companionship, encouragement, sociability, counsel, or solace, I'm not worthless. If I can respect my opinions, I'm not worthless. If others also respect me, that's a bonus, she said. If my presence even just occasionally makes a difference to others, I am not worthless. I am not worthless, I'm eminently worthwhile. Now she came from the secular perspective, but there's even a greater evidence that's more powerful for a Christian. I'll ask them, who is Jesus Christ? And they'll often answer the Son of God. And I'll ask, how much is he worth? What would be your answer to that? Yeah, limitless, priceless, infinite value. Did he or did he not give his life for you? And if he did, so then how much are you worth? Infinity is not greater than infinity. This is evidence, not mere claim. Jesus did not simply proclaim how much you're worth. He gave evidence. He gave his life. In fact, Christ's object lesson says the value of a soul. Who can estimate? Would you know it's worth? Go to Gethsemane and there watch with Christ through those hours of anguish when he sweat as it were great drops of blood. Look upon the Savior lifted upon the cross. Hear that despairing cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Look upon the wounded head, the pierced side, the marred feet. Remember that Christ did what? Risked all. And by the way, this is another important aspect of truth the biblical aspect of what happens when you die. If you believe that you just enter into another phase of existence, did Christ risk all? He didn't. And it actually minimizes the worth of every human being when you don't believe the biblical view of what happens when you die. She goes on to say, For our redemption, heaven itself was imperiled. At the foot of the cross, remembering that for one sinner, Christ would have laid down his life, you may estimate the value of a soul. She goes on to say, if you are in communion with Christ, you will place his estimate upon every what? Human being. You will feel for others the same deep love that Christ has felt for you. And by the way, if infinity is not greater than infinity, that means you're not greater than anyone else in this room or the one that's sitting next to you. Self-worth is very important. We do have an infinite self-worth, but when we have self-esteem, that's when we start thinking that we're better than others. Uh, And that will also, that sets us up for magnification. In fact, Ellen White gives a test. Did you know you can measure your love for Christ? She says it's in direct proportion that you can measure it. And yes, we need to grow our love for Christ. We need to have that intimate, close association with him. Here's how you can measure it. Those who have the love of God in their hearts will in exact proportion to their love feel a solicitude for souls. If you are feeling the love of souls around you, that is evidence that you have the love of God in your heart. And if you have a deep feeling, and that's a feeling that's based on true Emotions, feelings that are based on tr- truth, uh, in other words it 's not getting into emotional reasoning but actual real reasoning. then you can have that love. This is a case of someone who's considering suicide who came to us. She was a uh, um, executive secretary. she had married someone higher up in the construction business they had had uh, they pulled their money together, bought a nice upper middle class home. Uh, They had had a um, child and everything seemed to be going good. First her husband took off from her, didn't even know where he was at. Then uh, she goes in for a well baby check and finds out at the six month checkup that her baby's going blind. And unless um, very sophisticated surgery is done, it's going to lose its eyesight. And then the very next day she comes into the office and her boss says I'm moving the business out of state and you're gonna be without a job in two weeks. She'd already lost her husband's income. She was losing hers. She was going to lose her house. Her baby uh, was in jeopardy. There was going to be no insurance there for any sophisticated surgery. And here's what she stated. I would be better off dead. My baby would be better off without me. My parents don't want me and would be happier if I weren't around. Keith didn't want me, so nobody probably ever will. I'll never be able to manage my life alone. We had her analyze those statements. Turns out this one here was purely emotional reasoning. She checked with her father, and her father said, you can move in with us as long as you need to until you get your feet on the ground. She began to analyze Keith. Keith had gone from one person to another in quick succession before he had ended up with her. She began to uh, find out. She had assumed those type of things, but she found out there was a surgeon in Oklahoma City who could provide this surgery for the Medicaid rates and would be willing to do so. And so after further investigation and recognizing distortions in her thoughts, she wrote the true things. I refuse to believe I would be better off dead. My life is in God's hands. Killing myself says I know more about my baby's future than God does. She recognized the fortune teller error there. My baby wouldn't be better off without me. I am her mother and she is entitled to the best of me. We can rebuild our lives. Keith never knew what he wanted in a relationship and never wanted anybody for very long. I deserve better. I can manage my life. And so you can see the significant difference that takes place with cognitive behavioral therapy. Same activating events, but now the beliefs are true and accurate, and the emotional consequences are dramatically changed. Be transformed, says Romans, by the what? Renewing of your mind. That's getting those thoughts into what is accurate and true. And Ellen White says this, self-discipline must be what? Practiced. An ordinary mind, well-disciplined, that talks about an average IQ there, but well-disciplined, so that's EQ, will accomplish more and higher work than will the most highly educated mind in the greatest talents without self-control. George Washington's statement, truth will ultimately prevail where there is pains taken to bring it to light. Solomon said, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Again, ancient evidence for the power of thought. And then the the best biography on the life of Christ. This is what the Library of Congress states is the best biography on the life of Christ. Desire of Ages says this. When he, the Spirit of Truth, said Jesus, is come, he will guide you into what? All truth. The comforter, notice, is called the Spirit of Truth. His work is to define and maintain the truth. He first dwells in the heart as the spirit of truth, and thus he becomes the comforter. And, you know, there are a number of people going to religious services that often go there just to try to change their feelings. Their feelings are not good. And so they get hyped up into some, uh, uh, you know, uh, rock, syncopated rock and roll rhythm experience, uh, the dancing and the aisles, etc., to try to be able to obtain some comfort. But how we really obtain comfort is to let the spirit of truth come in. She says there is comfort and peace in the truth, but no real peace or comfort can be found in falsehood. In fact, a study at Duke University showed the charismatic churches have significantly higher rates of depression than the non-charismatic churches. again, of the false way of altering the way you feel. The true way of altering the way you feel is to change your thoughts into what's true and accurate. The the quote goes on in Desire of Ages. It is through false theories and traditions that Satan gains his power over the mind. How does Satan gain his power over the mind? False theories and traditions. By directing men to false standards, he misshapes the character. Through the scriptures, the Holy Spirit speaks to the mind and impresses truth upon the heart. Thus, he exposes error and expels it from the soul. It is by the spirit of truth working through the word of God that Christ subdues his chosen people to himself. And this is why we utilize the word of God. We talk about the non-sectarian book of Daniel, Proverbs, etc., that people can read as they read the word of God, try to analyze it, apply it. The spirit of truth can work upon their heart and can actually change their thoughts. The psalmist in one verse, chapter 139 139 starts out saying that the Lord knows us better than we know ourselves. Knew us before we were born. There in the womb, knows us, understands us. Understands our thoughts even before we think them, it says. This is someone who understands us very closely and better than anyone. At the end of that psalm, David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my what." In other words, he's saying, I don't see that there's any distortions there, but I want you to analyze me. I want you to search me. You know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. In other words, any distortions that are there in thoughts and lead me in the way everlasting. In David's psalm of repentance, Psalm 51 This is a verse that's not quoted very often. In a psalm of repentance, he says, Thou desirest truth in the inward parts. He recognized that the reason why he had his moral failure is because he thought distorted thoughts. There was an activating event in his life, and by the way, any moral failure, any breaking of God's Ten Commandments first starts with a distorted thought. And he had an activating event in his life, and as a result of that activating event, he began to think distorted thoughts. And instead of refusing to use a mental filter, he used a mental filter. He overgeneralized. He also used emotional reasoning, strong emotional reasoning there. And instead of reminding himself of what was true and what was rightfully his uh, and how he didn't even know this individual, And uh, intimacy is not at all uh, there for individuals. Uh, He even had to ask who she was related to or where she came from, et cetera. And by the way, the Lord was providing all sorts of ways of escape for him in that process, but he continued to dwell on the distorted thoughts, and thus he fell. And in his psalm of repentance, he reveals the heart of the matter. The reason why is because he didn't have truth in the inward parts. And thus, he also writes his Psalm 139. See if there be any distorted way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is spiritual health screening, mental health screening, where we have the Spirit of God uh, there analyzing our thoughts. Ellen White says, the power of right thought is more precious than the golden wedge of Ophir. By the way, Bill Gates does not own the golden wedge of Ophir. In fact, someone analyzed it. I haven't double check this, but he was a mathematician, so I trusted him. He said that if Bill Gates put all of his assets into birdseed, he would not be able to feed the birds on this planet for more than 24 hours. By the way, how do they get fed without Bill Gates? Uh, but what this tells us is Bill Gates' assets are limited, and there's something much more important than the greatest wealth in all of the world. And that is the power of what? The power of right thought. If you have the opportunity for riches, possessions, or wealth, or the opportunity for right thought, which one should you choose? Right thought. Heavenly Places, 164. The good news about emotional intelligence. I didn't ask you your scores, but for those of you who scored less than 120 or so, I I would like to see... Those who know the truth, the biblical aspect of truth, and are here at GYC, really should have EQs of 120 or greater. Uh, But the good news is, no matter what your EQ is, emotional intelligence can be what? It can be improved upon. And so let's systematically analyze our thoughts. Let's try to recognize distortions in those thoughts. Let's replace those thoughts with true and accurate thoughts by renewing our mind. And then step four is to practice, practice, practice. Uh, Anything that we become good at requires practice, including emotional intelligence. And I will end with the words of Christ here, ye shall know the truth. And by the way, when the Bible says know the truth, it's not talking about a knowledge of. It says, Adam knew Eve, and they shook hands. Is that what it says? (laughs) Adam knew Eve, and what happened? Eve conceived. It was an intimate knowledge, an intimate association. And this is the same word that Christ is using here. Ye shall know the truth. It's part of our everyday thought, moment by moment, thinking accurate thoughts. Ye shall know the truth, and what will be the result of this? The truth shall make you free. And this is what happens to those who go through this process. They thought their problems were due to others, how others were treating them, how they weren't good-looking enough or successful enough or rich enough to be successful or happy, and now they recognize that their problems were actually due to them, their emotional problems. And as a result of correcting those emotional problems, it is though they have been set free, and they will talk about that. I have been set free in this process as a result of knowing the truth and applying the truth uh, to their life. I'd, uh, we do have uh, three minutes left, and I would like to, in closing, sing a song uh, together that was actually written. By the way, there is, there is a song I didn't go into, the one for emotional reasoning. Uh, we probably should go to that one I learned in juniors. Feelings come in, feelings go, and feelings are deceiving. Trust alone on the word of God, it's something worth believing. Because feelings come and feelings go, and feelings are deceiving. Trust alone on the word of God, it's something worth believing. So uh, let's uh, keep that song in mind as well, so we don't do the emotional reasoning. But I wanted to, uh, this, this song was rewritten. Uh, to different words. Onward, Christian soldiers. By the way, if you're trying to reach Muslims in your community, this is probably not the hymn to sing to them (laughs) because it it really uh, makes it look like it's a very physical warfare. But the warfare that we fight is more against who? It's actually more against ourself. And so the writer of this, understood this and so uh, let's sing it probably best can you see best when you're sitting down it might be best when you're sitting down in between people than standing so uh, even though this is one that we normally stand up for and we normally have a nice rousing piano uh, let's see if we can do this acapella onward christian soldiers marching as to war fighting false perceptions Feelings, pride, and more. Christ has given battle tools, reason, conscience, truth. Forward into battle, use our wills to choose. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. With the cross of Jesus going on before. Let's raise it up a little bit. When the spirit of truth is come, to all truth he guides. There is comfort, peace with truth. There is none with lies. By deception, Satan gains power for the mind. Through the word of truth, the Spirit subdues humankind. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. With the words of Jesus going on before. Up a little bit more. Minds are much like gardens, seeds of truth can sprout. We must tend them constantly, weeds can choke them out. Gardening is no easy task, we must do our part. Christians must be vigilant, life's a battle march. Onward Christian soldiers, women, men, and youth. Spirit of truth. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we thank you for that spirit of truth that you have abundantly made available to us. May we open our hearts and our minds to that spirit of truth. May we pray that prayer of David to search our hearts and our minds. See if there be any distorted thoughts. And through your word and your spirit, may we correct those thoughts, line them up with your truth so that we may become truly emotionally intelligent and successful for you. We thank you for your promise that those who think truthful thoughts will be saved in the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse and Hope Media Ministry for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to listen to more great media like this presentation or if you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. You can also find great witnessing media at audioverse.org and at hopevideo.com.